Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Joel, for leading us. And good morning, everyone. And uh, good morning to everyone who's participating online. Uh, again, we're so grateful for yet another day, a new uh, day, new week, and the last week of Quad One. And so, um, you know, many of us maybe had doubts we'd make it this far, uh, but we are still hopeful that we're continuing um, into Quad Two. And, uh, and we're really recognizing how every day truly is a gift. And we're really excited for today as we continue in our journey through our overarching theme of the kingdom of God and using the Sermon on the Mount really as our grounding text that we've been traveling through. And we've been hanging out in the Beatitudes um, so far in Quad One. We're taking a little bit of a look ahead today and looking at how we are salt and light. And we're really excited and grateful to have uh, Pastor Pablo Cachon, who is the uh, pastor of Latino ministries at New Hope Church, where he served for the last eight years. And he and his wife, uh, Zochel, have three sons. And uh, he enjoys reading, biking, and grilling. I'm not sure if in that order, but um, those are three wonderful things that uh, I also share an affinity with. So, uh, but I want to invite you to join me in please giving Pastor Pablo a very warm and exciting Northwestern welcome. So, Pastor Pablo. And would you uh, join me in extending a handout towards Pastor Pablo and as we pray together for him as he shares with us. Father in heaven, we want to declare as we just sang, hallelujah, thank you Jesus for the cross. If it wasn't for that, we would not be here this morning. And because of that, we declare that you are worthy. You are worthy of us to gather. You are worthy of us to sing. You are worthy, Lord, to open up, have your word opened up and to have it preached, to have it proclaimed, to have it demonstrated in our lives. And God, we want to thank you so much for our dear brother, Pastor Pablo, that he's, as he is here with us, Lord, for this time that you have appointed, that you have ordained, we pray that he would be a pure channel of your grace, that you'd fill him now with your Holy Spirit as he speaks with boldness and conviction and clarity and love. And may our hearts be good soil to receive your word, that it would be planted, that it would grow, that it would produce kingdom fruit that would last for your glory. Lord, we love you and thank you for loving us first. And we say to you, hallelujah. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Justin, we can't hug, but there we go. We can do the elbow <laughs> greeting. Hi, friends. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you guys today, both uh, live and online. And uh, so let's dive into the word because time is of essence. And um, I think the Lord uh, has laid something in my heart that I hope would resonate in yours and uh, would inspire and motivate you and um, challenge you in certain areas of life. I know that the Word of God always has a way of challenging me. And at times I feel that uh, I get comfortable and I look in the mirror, as James would say, and the Word of God um, breathes life into me. And that's my prayer. That's my hope. That's my objective here this day, to inspire and motivate you into a deeper relationship with Christ our Lord. So as I think of the interesting times that we are living, some would call this unique, um, difficult, all kinds of emotions and word pictures could be added in our mind. But as I think pre-COVID, I think of how things were tracking for the church, how we were already 
working into the, uh, what we would call a middle of our fiscal year of, of budgets and already descending on the concluding part of a fiscal year. And some of the things that we considered as secure, established, a well-oiled machine that was projecting growth in the ministry, numerical growth in all forms and dimensions. But then all of a sudden, we hit COVID. And COVID threw a wrench into everything. And not just into um, church life or what we would call just the rhythm and the pace of, of where we were headed. But then you add things like and situations that happened that really spoke and amplified something that had been going on beneath the surface of our society. You had the incident of George Floyd. Specifically here, where we find ourselves here today is very close and proximate to us, where many of us have experienced the, the unsettling within our society, the rioting, the voices, the cry of what is going on and what needs to change. I think of people like Ahmaud Arbery, and what that caused and how that ricocheted across our country and even across the globe. Let's not go and forget just the recent loss of life of Breonna Taylor. And when I think about all of these things, I think about how all of these realities tend to separate us and even within our society brings and causes and produces a form of identity, a cultural identity. Um, I know politics is another thing that tends to divide people, even within the church. Our allegiance to the elephant or our allegiance to the donkey. But I think all of this scripture has some form of rel uh, uh, something relative to us, even in what we're confronting today. I'm glad that to hear that you guys are doing the Sermon on the Mount. We at New Hope Church have uh, already journeyed through the Sermon of the Mount, and I can see how all of that continues to have a relevance, even in the uncertainties of time. But I think about this uh, Sermon on the Mount, and I have to reflect and, and go back into the context, right? We're going to be focusing on Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, and I just wanted to focus on one verse, because I know that we can talk about the salt, and all I will say about salt at this point is if you cook without salt... Uh, and you might have some, some medical situation behind that, which is totally okay, I would get. But cooking meat or cooking without salt is kind of lame. You need some kind of flavor to the food. And I'm sure that you could use ingredients and spices and different condiments. In my house, I'm probably the one that cooks more with spices. Uh, my wife would tend to just be uh, easygoing and simple with pepper and salt and chili. Those are the three main ingredients in a Latino home. You don't want to live without that. But I like using different other spices because I like to extract different types of flavor within my food. But as I approach this text, I often remember this one song because I grew up in church. And even as in a grown adult, right, I think about my Sunday school teachers and the leaders that have had an impact in my life. And I think about this song that says, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. 
this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Now, you, you'd probably wonder why I'm not singing it, because then I'd be kicked out. <laughs> uh, but that song, as simple as a Sunday school song, has reiterated truth to me that I've taken into my adulthood, into my marriage, even now as a dad, to three young adults who are now in college. And I think about this light, that, that, this metaphor of light that's spoken to us in Scripture and the why. Well, I think if you do an analysis of Old Testament texts and into the centuries that, that when the prophet Isaiah wrote about this, this, this um, language of light, the arise and shine for your light has come, and that this coming light that would come into the world centuries after in the person of Christ was that fulfillment of that life that as uh, the prologue in the gospel of John, John chapter 1, tells us this was the light, the light, a life-giving light, a life that came and brought transformation to those who would respond. See, when I think about light, it has all kinds of connotations to me. But when I think about the biblical narrative, I think about how this light and if you have light, then obviously there had to be darkness. And there's something very significant about darkness in scriptures. Because when we think about darkness and to associate the word darkness, we have to think of its many implications, right? We can think about our rule today. There is um, cognitive darkness. There's emotional darkness. There's political darkness. There's fiscal darkness of those who live in the darkness of poverty. We could go on and on and talk about the different many forms and shapes and expressions of darkness. But when we think about this darkness and how um, in the biblical world, right, you had all this political and, and all this seismic darkness that was swirling around from the, the, the Old Testament to the New Testament and the transitions of kingdoms that we learned about that Daniel prophesied, right? We see the transition from Babylon to Persia. The middle Greco transition, and then we see how the rise of the Roman Empire. And all of these things presented different forms and expressions of darkness. Yet, the first century, as Christ was introduced, and as, as the, the Christologic uh, expression and hymn that we find in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 11, that expression, that hymn of Christ. To be like him, to have this mindset, like the one who came, who being God did not consider himself as such, but took the form of servant and was obedient, obedient even unto death and death of a cross. So this Lord of glory, we read throughout scripture, finally gets here to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And in the context of um, jumping back to chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, we understand the, the geographical context of where Jesus was at. 
right? We, we know that his, his fame had spread across the Levant. We understand that all the way from Palestine, and some commentators would say even as far as Syria, the influence and the impact of Jesus' ministry in the dark world where the Roman Empire was in charge, when paganism and all forms of idolatry and, and, and sexual darkness and identity was very prevalent, we find Jesus did three things in, in, in uh, Matthew 4, 23 to 25. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He taught people the principles of the kingdom. And that's something that sometimes I would say the 21st century church lacks because we're afraid of being associated as charismatics. Jesus healed people. Jesus healed people. And that fame spread across the land. Man, and they didn't even have Facebook, Twitter. They have Instagram or Snapchat or all of these other forms, TikTok and all of these other forms of social media. Yet his fame spread because he proclaimed and he taught and he healed. Man, you, you want a you way of validating a ministry? <laughs> I mean, you, you do those three things, man. And, and not to say that one and of itself, you know, we ourselves will be famous, but man, that does something to catch attention. And so we find Jesus doing these things. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, we find that Jesus is ultimately there in Galilee, right around the region of Galilee. And then he, he, he goes up, uh, up to the foothold or, or the side of a mountain. And then something that we don't always get to understand in literature, in biblical literature, he sits down. And the people stand. So imagine going to church and your pastor tells you, go ahead and stand up for the next hour while I sit down and teach you. It's so different. Now, now in today's world, well, the teacher stands and the people of the audience sits. But not so in Jesus' day. He sat down and then the inner circle of the crowd that was there, right? Because we understand that the text tells us that there was a large crowd there. We don't know how big that crowd was. But one thing we do know is that his disciples were in the inner circle of that crowd. And then he began to teach them, verse 2 of chapter 5. And so we get into this uh, uh, verse 16, and he's giving this series of, of instructions of, of what some people would call the, the moral code of Christianity, right? And some people have adopted this in secular circles to call this a moral standard. Well, I can get how they conclude with that if we want to just talk about how to be good, the do's and don'ts of Christianity. But there's something so distinct about Christianity that, that transcends this moral code, that makes it different, that gives us a, a, takes it to a whole new dimension, right? Something that the Christians makes us distinctive. And Paul would say this. He would say in Ephesians chapter 1, for you have been, what? Sealed. Sealed with What? The Holy Spirit as a guarantee unto the day of salvation. So to do, to be morally good is good, and you could do that, and many people in many Eastern religions practice morality. But there's something so distinct about this light that Jesus introduces to us today that takes it to the whole new level. And I would suggest 
that that new dimension of morality is a life that's lived in the spirit. That takes Christianity from just being a religion to an experience, to a lifestyle, to a way of being, not because of my own accord, but because of the power of Christ in me that reveals his word and teaches me his word and illuminates his word and then begins to transform my, what some friends call, my stinking thinking. He begins to change me and transform me. And so we see this in this text. Now the text reads this way. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, let me read that again because it's so rich and so simple, but yet we could fly over it so quick because we need to be somewhere in about another 10 minutes. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, we read throughout the narrative of the Gospels, right? The four Gospels will reveal to us that He is the light of the world. We also see that light has to do something with eschatological terms or context, right? Isaiah tells us about this coming light. And I think you guys have also been considering the word kingdom. And for the Jewish mind of the first, of, of biblical narrative, they were thinking of this established kingdom that will um, do away with, with all of Israel's enemies. Well, there was some truth in that, but God wasn't just interested in a physical nation or a literal nation. He was interested in his creation. And that redemptive story throughout Genesis to Revelation reveals Something greater in the heart and the mind and the purposes of God that includes all people, all nations, every tribe, every language. I'm sorry, I mean, I, 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 I guess I should be teaching more and not preaching, but I am a preacher and I'm a pastor, and for that I don't apologize. And so we see this here. We see this how God. You know, this light is coming into the, into the, into the world, right? And then even, even Paul uses this metaphor of light in Ephesians 5, 8 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, where he describes us, those who have been redeemed, those who are now in the faith. He says, we are children of light. So we are associated with the light. No matter where you and I go in society, right, Something distinct about our lives will be evident in the world that we live in because our world is dark. I don't think any one of us would disagree, both of us here physically in this room and those on, online. There's a lack of love and unity in our world. Man, look at all. I don't know if you've watched the political debates and whatnot and all the rhetoric that's going on in the news and everything. It just breeds division. It breeds uncertainty. Some people have gone as far as saying, I don't see the news anymore because there's no good news. It's all bad news. And so we see this. And, and to help me understand and to help us understand what the text is really talking, I really love different translations of the Bible. And I thank God for what uh, Eugene Peterson did in his uh, translation of these texts, which I'm going to read with you, and, and they'll appear on the screen. But look how the message describes, and I, and I added verses 13 and on, simply because it gives it context. 
But look how Eugene uh, Peterson said in the message, look how he, he reads this and wrote this. He said, let me tell you why you are here. If there's anything, any one of us, no matter where we find ourselves, in our search and quest for identity, here it is. And Patterson, uh, Peterson does a great job of nailing that to our minds and our hearts so that there would be no doubt. Let me tell you why you are here. Why you are here at Northwest University of Northwestern St. Paul. Let me tell you why you are alive. Let me tell you why you are who you are. Let me tell you why you experience the brokenness in life, the disparity of your childhood, the pain that you carry, the depression and the, and the anxiety that you have experienced is not just to experience it because there's a purpose for that. And I love what Peterson says. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out God flavors. Wow. Your life, no matter how broken and dark it's been, because of Jesus, you are now the salt of the earth. And then he goes on and says... If you lose the saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Wow, I don't want to end up in the garbage. And then he says, I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine, shine. And then he says, keep open house. Be generous with your lives, right? This is something that we could talk about. Generosity is so huge and so needed in our world today. You know, young people, we forgot about the word hospitality. Hospitality. And then he goes on to say, keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By open up, opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. Okay, so let's unpack this here uh, in verse 16, right? Because verse 16 is very powerful, and there's so much truth in it, and that's where I just want to recite the, the remaining of my time. Okay, verse 16, again, tells us this, right? Um, you, in the same manner, or in the same way, depending on the version you're reading from, right? In the same way, let your light shine. So first thing that I need to say this, this, in this teaching time is that there is no ambiguity in the presence of life, of light. Okay, we live in a world that is so ambiguous. In fact, people would say, what is truth? What is foundational? Man, that's something that my grandma and and all the old people talk about. But there is something truth, there's something so rich about the foundations and, and the essentials of life that are not changed or, or, or are not subjected to cultural changes. Love, mercy, justice, compassion. These things are not dictated by who's in power or who's sitting in the White House, or if I'm rich or if I'm poor, has nothing to do with it. And so the text tells us in the same way. Now there's two things that we need to wrestle with, just that one phrase, in the same way. What is it saying and what is it not saying? Definitely it's not saying that you will be like God in all of his holiness and perfection and, and, and in that form. That's not what it's saying. 
But it, what it is saying is if you observe the person and the work of Christ throughout his ministry here in the world and how he was a light in the midst of darkness, how he went out to the marginalized, how he was out and about with the people, how he cared for those who were broken and needed healing. I think that's what it's saying. I would suggest and submit to you that this, this is, this is the, the particle that, that, that precedes everything that we just that read in these three, in these four words here in the same way, everything that precedes that, right? This is a summary of it, of this biblical teaching here. And, and, and some people wrestle with this because the question or the theological question is always, is the Sermon on the Mount descriptive or prescriptive? I believe it's both. It's descriptive of a, of a way of live, but it's also prescriptive in which that we need to practice these things. And so he's telling us here in the same way, the same way that the light broke through the darkness. Because darkness evokes everything anti-God, the wickedness, the judgment, the death. And light evokes everything that has to do with the created work of God. You look at it from the creation. Secondly, we are commanded to let our light shine before others. Look what the text goes on to say there in, in 516. Let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. Again, how does this re verse relate to the preceding one? He says, you are a city on a hill. Wow. I don't know about you, but when I travel, I do a road trip, and I'm driving at night, which I rarely do, but when I have to, boy, and I see this one little dot off the horizon, and then that dot becomes two dots, and then all of a sudden, it becomes a whole city-wide of lights. There's something that does, it, it, it breeds some form of hope that somewhere in that collage of lights, there's going to be a Starbucks. <laughs> that I'm going to get my coffee fix, right? And, and, and that does something to me because I know I can refuel my car. I can put air on my tires. I could, you know, do all the essential things to keep me going on my trip. Friends, please listen. Your life, as broken as it may be, as painful and shameful as you have experienced life, your life, with all of the difficulties and complexities of life, is a light in the dark world. And not because of you, because of he who lives in you. And that's the difference. And that's the difference that, that was being said here to us, is let your light shine, be active. Uh, I'm not telling you to carry your Bible all the time underneath your armpit. That happened in the 50s and 60s. I want you to carry your Bible in your heart and in your mind. For the psalm that says, Blessed is the man who meditates on your word day and night. Uh, psalm 89, Blessed is the man who continually walks in your word. Huh? That's what I'm talking about here. And third, third good works, friends, good works is not the element that leads us unto salvation. Good works are the end result of our salvation. My grandma, and, and, and I think it's Karen Gonzalez, 
uh, who framed the coin, and she, she kind of clarified that for, for us, is she says, this is the grandma's theology. She says it in Spanish. It sounds better in Spanish. I don't know why, but it does. Uh, maybe that's my personal bias. La teología de la abuelita. Grandma's theology. And grandma's theology would always say, tell me who you hang out with, and I'll tell you who you are. It'll reveal your character. And so what we have here, when, 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 when it says, so that, you're, that they may see your good works, who's they? Who's they? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you are the light, the antithesis of light is darkness. So I think what the text is suggesting here is that we are called to let or to raise our collar, if you will. I mean, this is the first time you, you read this in, in text, right? That Jesus himself is telling us, hey, it's like put your good works on display. Normally, we're called to live a quiet and peaceful and humble life, right? Not drawing attention to ourselves. But here, he's asking us to draw attention to ourselves. And then, finally, right, finally, the glory of God is the highest end and purpose. Why? Can you imagine, right, if you were sexually molested as a child, right, as painful and shameful as that is, imagine that you can be a, test, a, a witness of God's goodness, grace, healing, and life-giving purpose to somebody who is experiencing that right now. You then become a beacon and a light in a very dark place where somebody finds themselves. So I have to ask the questions because my time is really running out. And I would, and I would suggest that perhaps I would form it in, 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 this, um, in this manner. Perhaps if the text could ask us, is how bright is your light? How bright is your light? So when I think about light, I think about a night light. And in my house, I added a GFI with a little light switch. Right? So I turn off the lights, and then the, light, the night light shines. It gives light enough for me to see in the darkness. But it's low. So the question is, is are you a night light in a dark world? Or perhaps you are a 100-watt bulb, which would illuminate a lot brighter. Now, just recently, I bought a new house. Well, new to me. It's not a new, new house, but it's new to me and my family. And I was thinking about putting some LED lights, and I found this one light, right? Um, instead of installing a fixture, having to hire an electrician that charges an arm and a leg, which I can't afford. And then, and then so I found these light, right, LED lights that put out about 1,400 lumens of light. Man, now I look into, I walk into my garage, and then I flick the switch, and it's like as bright as this stage. <laughs> it's bright. It's awesome. I could see everything. And then I put the same thing in my utility room. My, my service people will be so happy because they could see things. But that's what it's saying here. And I think the text is really driving at that. How can our lives be used as a light? So, friends, my last question would be of the text is how can Jesus enable you to shine brighter? Because that's ultimately the, the question here. How can Jesus ultimately you, uh, use our lives to shine bright, brighter?
And I would say that it starts in the gospel. I say it continues on as we journey into our heavenly home, right? Growing, learning, and being transformed by the same gospel until either we die or the Lord returns. And with that, I want to pray for you. So if you don't mind bowing your heads, I would love to pray for you. So, Father, once again, we are grateful for your mercy, your love, your truth, your word, your people, your spirit, that we have community and communion with, Lord. That as, that as the Isaiah 58 passage would reveal to us, that we, too, would become rebuilders, repairers, restorers, replenishers, that we would be radiant in our society, that we would be agents of regeneration, not of our own accord, but through the power of your Holy Spirit with your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you guys. You are all dismissed.